Uh, open up our Bibles to Exodus chapter 20. Exodus chapter 20. We're going to begin tonight with the reading of God's Word, with the reading of the Fourth Commandment. Exodus chapter 20. It's okay. Exodus second book. Second book on the list if you're looking in your phone in the Old Testament. <laughs> This is our second evening in a row considering the fourth commandment, and we're going to think about some of the same things that we did last time as well, but also some new aspects this evening. So Exodus 20, hopefully you're ready, we'll be reading from verse 8 to verse 11, the reading of God's holy word. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male servant or your female servant, or your livestock, or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea, and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. That ends the reading of God's holy, inspired, and sufficient word. So, we begin with the fourth commandment, because the catechism articles in view for tonight are once again on the fourth commandment. The Christian's duty to keep or to observe a Sabbath. Last week we were on that fourth commandment as well, but we have three different catechism questions in line for us tonight. Three different ones in comparison to the three that we covered last week. And I put them for you on your outline, so you grab that when you walked in. They're all there for you. The topic of the Christian Sabbath is an important one, and so we need to do a little bit of recap because the things that I want to say tonight are all in light of what I mentioned last week. And so if you missed last week's uh, sermon, you can access that online. I would encourage you to do so just so that you're up to date with some of the back things that we've said before so that um, it will make a, a bigger or more complete picture uh, for you. It's help with context. And so I want to do a little bit of recap after I assert an observation. That observation is this that the Sabbath, or the topic of the Christian Sabbath, has fallen on hard times. Sadly so. Tragically so. Skepticism surrounds the notion of keeping it. Outright neglect of it is the popular view today. And even in more of the confessional and reformed churches even, that seems to be true. Some evangelical schools of thought, I'm thinking of dispensationalism and New Covenant theology, of time to define those all clearly tonight and get into all the details and nuances of them. We could ask about them later and we could talk about them at another time. But those theological views have at a very important level a rejection of Sabbath keeping. And if you know anything about dispensationalism, it is very popular. It is probably the most, or at least for the last 100 years, it's been the most dominant view of evangelical hermeneutics and understanding across the, the Western world. And so for them and others, it's an Old Covenant thing. It's an Israel thing. And so two points, all right? Two points on it's an Old Covenant thing and it's an Israel thing, but it's not an us thing. That's what they say. And so let me be clear here, friends. Firstly, it is still an Israel thing, but I'm not talking about the nation of Israel. It's a true or spiritual Israel thing. It's, that would mean it's a church thing then. It's for those who have faith. For those with the same faith as Abraham, Romans 4, it's one of the commandments after all. It's something then that Christians should desire to keep, that we should delight to keep. It's something 
that we don't do because we think it saves us. Of course not. Our keeping of the moral law in any way does not save or redeem us. I cannot be more clear about that. Jesus is keeping of it applied to us through regeneration and the washing of the spirit. That alone is what saves us. That's the only way anyone can be saved even. But the keeping of God's law for the Christian is a means by which we glorify God and live out the will of God. So let me also be clear on this. It is, in fact, more than just an Israel thing, even more than a true or spiritual Israel thing. It's an all of mankind thing. The, the moral law, which is the Decalogue, which, if remember, is a summary of the moral law. We went over that last week, is the standard for all of humanity in every age and in every generation. It's unchanging as God himself is unchanging. In other words, just like we think of the lost person's keeping of the seventh commandment, that it's good for them, even though it's not salvific, the same should be said of the fourth commandment. It's no different. It would be good for all people uh, with all of the commandments even. The fourth commandment is no different. Even in, the, even in Old Covenant Israel, right? Not all of them were saved. That covenant that God made with the nation of Israel through Abraham and then Moses and David, not everyone in the Old Covenant had a heart change. Not everyone was regenerated. Yet they were all expected to obey all of the commandments that God had revealed to them. It's built in this, this fourth commandment then, as long as every other commandment. It's built to the very fabric of the universe. It's for all people at all times and in all places, just like the rest of God's law is. The problem, of course, is that people, apart from being born again, they generally do not like the law of God. And maybe that's a general point of, or maybe they appreciate it in a general way when the morality of it benefits them in some sense, but they certainly don't love the law of God because they don't love God. And quite often, fallen man, when he keeps the moral law, is done with the wrong motive, of course, and their conflicting thoughts will either accuse them or excuse them. We read in Romans 2, 14 and 15, the light of nature, the conscience. We went over that before. Hopefully you remember that still. But the fourth commandment is good for all people because it is God's moral law. And of course, what the fourth commandment is, is that we should observe a Sabbath, a day of rest. More on that soon. B.B. Warfield said, and he's you know, that great Princeton theologian, he said the Sabbath was made was instituted by God at creation, prior to the ceremonial law, prior to the fall, in paradise, and undoubtedly rooted in nature, in our human nature, and in the nature of the created universe. So then, as Jesus said in Mark 2.27, the Sabbath is made for man, and not man for the Sabbath. The Sabbath doesn't need us, but truly we need it. And I'll explain more on that later, but Jesus wasn't just speaking of the nation of Israel at that point. True, that's the context. He was talking to Israelites in that moment. But the doctrine of Sabbath, the fourth commandment, goes beyond that. So it's not just a nation of Israel thing in the Old Covenant. It existed before the nation of Israel existed. We looked at Genesis 2 last week. It was for the nation of Israel. But it's also true for spiritual or true Israel. It's for the church, in other words. And it's for all of humanity, most assuredly. And secondly... It's true that it was in the Old Covenant, but as we've shown last week, and I've touched on this a little bit already tonight, it, it existed before the Old Covenant. But it's also a New Covenant commandment as well, because the moral law, which the Decalogue again summarizes, didn't change, and Christ Jesus didn't do away with it. 
he fulfilled it. Turn with me to Matthew 5. And you can keep your finger in Exodus if it's possible, because we'll, and we'll be back there. Maybe not next, actually. Matthew 5. This is the Sermon on the Mount. This is that often confused section of Scripture when it comes to the law of God, especially. Verse 17. Jesus says, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot will pass away from the law until all is accomplished. Therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. That's pretty clear, isn't it? Jesus didn't come to abolish the law or prophets. He fulfilled them. Now, think with me for just a second here, okay? Those who say that the fourth commandment isn't for us, that it's for Israel only in the Old Covenant, they appeal often to Jesus' fulfilling of it here. They'll say, look, Jesus fulfilled it for you, and so that means that this isn't something that you no longer, you any longer need to observe. But then ironically, they want to abolish it. Yet they don't do that with the other nine. Nobody that is a Christian is walking around saying, well, you know, the first commandment was fulfilled in Christ. I can therefore ignore that commandment and now have other gods. That's not any, that's, that doesn't come up on anybody's radar at all. No one says, well, Jesus fulfilled the sixth commandment. So, you know, thou shalt not kill. Well, that's not something I need to adhere to anymore. Or the seventh commandment. No Christian is out there encouraging adultery. And yet when it comes to the fourth commandment, a very large majority of us downplay, dismiss, or outrightly deny that we should keep the fourth commandment. For them, they must think that the fourth commandment is smaller than an iota or a dot. Most of us have done away with the fourth commandment. The very thing Jesus warns us not to do here, we've relaxed on it and taught others to do the same. And notice, doing so doesn't mean that you're outside of the kingdom of heaven. Not necessarily. Perhaps that could be the case. But it does mean that we'll be least in the kingdom of heaven. Now, that's a whole other can of worms that we don't have time for tonight. But it's clear in its context, right, that that's the bad option, right? Least or great in the kingdom of heaven. If you, if you teach others to relax on the commandments, you'll be least. That's the bad option. And so the Sabbath has fallen on hard times. For our society today, Sunday is just another day of the week. Even for much of the church. Most in the church today will set aside a Lord's morning, one and a half to three hours, leaving the bulk of the day for their own pursuits and their own plans. Those outside the church, they barely rest from their labors at all. They're taken up with work and creation. Sundays are, are busy. It's just another man's day. It's not the Lord's day. And so sports and shopping and entertainment are the champions of the day. It wasn't always like this for the church. It wasn't always like this for our culture, our society here in the United States even. It wasn't always like this for those in the world uh, who are part of this specific country. It was common for the early church fathers of the patristics then to speak of the end of the Jewish Sabbath. So, and that makes sense considering their, their context, living in the first few centuries, and the shift of the Saturday observance to the Sunday observance, the day that Christ rose from the grave, as we noted last week. But men like Ignatius, Irenaeus, Justin Martyr, 
Tertullian, Clement of Alexandria, Basil, Jerome, Eusebius, they would all write and, and speak about keeping the fourth commandment, about setting aside the whole day for public and private devotional exercises. Previous generations simply saw this day differently than we do modernly, especially for the Reformed and their theological successors, the uh, Puritans. The Lord's Day was the day of days for them, Terry Johnson notes. The Puritan, George Swinnock, called it the golden spot of the week, the daybreak of eternal brightness, the queen of days, the crown of time, the epitome of heaven, and heaven in a glass. They saw it as the, the market day or the harvest day of the soul. Many, many sermons and treatises and books were de are devoted to this topic. Uh, the Westminster and the London Baptist Confession all affirmed the importance and perpetuity of it, the, the continuation of the fourth commandment. So many who we have come to be grateful for over the last 500 years of the church all agree on at least the base element of the fourth commandment that we should set aside the whole day from our normal labors to pursue the Lord. I'm talking about men like Martin Luther, John Calvin, Thomas Watson, Thomas Manton, John Owen, John Edwards, John Bunyan, Charles Hodge, B.B. Warfield, Gerhardus Voss, J. Gresham Machen, Cornelius Van Til, John Murray, D.L. Moody, Charles Spurgeon, J.C. Ryle, Martin Lloyd-Jones, J.I. Packer, the last two of those mentioned, having gone to be with the Lord in glory within our lifetime, those of us who are, you know, at least my age, 40s. So, even though uh, this doctrine has fallen on hard times today, there are men who affirm and teach it within the same spirit as those who I've just mentioned, who are living today. Bodhi Baca, Richard Barcelos, Brian Borgman, Terry Johnson, R. Scott Clark, Sam Waldron, to name just a few. For the most part, anyone today who is truly confessional, though Bodhi Bauckham notes that those who claim to only hold a part of the confession, it's this chapter on the Lord's Day that's often rejected, but anyone who is truly confessional would tend to at least see the value and the importance of keeping the Lord's Day, of observing the fourth commandment still today. And this is a serious matter, friends. Look at our culture around us. We could go on and on about the moral decay of our society and the freight train speed that it is currently plummeting into. What's different in the last 60 years? Lots of things are different, but one thing especially stands out, the, fail to re the failure to recognize Sunday as the Lord's Day, as the Christian Sabbath, certainly stands out. Terry Johnson writes that careful Sabbath observance was the norm for three and a half centuries from Maine to California and across all Protestant denominational lines, Episcopal, Methodist, Baptist, Congregational, Pentecostal, Lutheran, Reformed, and Presbyterian. Certainly not like that today, is it? Uh, J.C. Ryle, who lived in England and died in 1900, said that the prosperity or decay of English Christianity depends on the maintenance of the Christian Sabbath. Seems a bit prophetic, doesn't it? Now, for us, um, my, my, I myself included, I, I admit that I don't claim to be like a perfect Sabbatarian. Uh, for that matter, I don't think I have all other of the nine commandments perfectly obeyed in my life all the time as well. But for myself, this is an area that I've been looking to grow in over the last decade or so. And a local church is either going to help or hinder you in that pursuit. Thankfully, we've made recent changes here at FFC that will help people, I think, to be more faithful to 
uh, observing the, the Sabbath. But I know for myself even that I have like, room to reform and to grow here. So things that I say here tonight are things that I'm personally thinking of myself as well, too. Because last week when we covered why should you keep the Sabbath, and this evening we're considering how you should keep the Sabbath. And I, I, there are some gray areas that will come up when you discuss these things, but some things are clear from Scripture, whereas some things are just are not. So hopefully we'll try to delineate some of those some of those ideas. And again, you know, I see a need in myself to keep the Sabbath better. Perhaps that's something you see as well. Again, not to save us. We aren't legalists, but for our good and for God's glory. So, so last week, uh, we addressed some of the why, why we keep the Sabbath reasons. Just a reminder, number one, because God made it holy. That's Exodus 28 and 11. And secondly, because God made everything. That's Exodus 20, 11. And then thirdly, because God redeemed us, Deuteronomy 5, 15 and Hebrews 4. And we also noted that we keep it on the first day of the week, what we call Sunday. And why is the reason for that? Because it's the day that Jesus rose from the grave. It's, it's the day when he wrote when the tomb was empty. And all the, the saints who had scattered came back together. And, and then you know, they, we see that pattern in Scripture over and over where they're gathering on the first day. And then I want to also make the case that we're not legalists for keeping it. It's simply legal and lawful. It's God-honoring that. Now, you're no more a legalist for observing the fourth commandment as you would be for observing the other nine. It's, of course, possible to become a legalist with it, but the danger is this for the other nine as well, too, and that doesn't stop you from keeping the other nine, right? So continue on with that same mindset. So tonight we're to think of how we keep it especially, and there is some overlap in these categories. The why category, we keep it because it's lawful, but the how category, we don't keep it legalistically. Even There's a little bit of overlap right there. And that is a real danger in the topic. Uh, we don't want to bind the conscience of anyone where Scripture doesn't do that. We don't want to impose our conscience on another person. We're on a dangerous path when we start doing that to others, a path towards legalism. I gave a few examples last week about modern Shabbat laws and to, to try to show that these laws that are practiced in the nation of Israel that say you can do certain things and can't do certain things on for them it would be a Saturday. And this week, while I was studying, Mark 7 came to mind. So I want, maybe we could look at that briefly. So I want to try to show this. Hopefully it'll be a little clear or more clear. It's Mark 7. You could turn there if you're still on Matthew. It'd be a quick turn. Here in Mark 7, Jesus was with his disciples and they were gathering with some scribes and Pharisees and they were going to enjoy a meal together. They're going to sit down together and eat. And when that happens, the scribes and the Pharisees notice that Jesus' disciples just immediately sit down. That they didn't go and do what the tradition was, which was to go and wash their hands first before they eat. The scribes don't like that, of course. The Pharisees say that they've defiled themselves, that Jesus' disciples have defiled themselves by not washing their hands before they eat. And so listen to Jesus' response. And it's, I mean, we know as well, we make other gospel points that it's not what you, it's not what comes into your body from the outside that defiles you. It's your heart that is already defiled because of Adam and the sin that you desire. But that's not the point I want to make right now. Listen to Jesus' response to them in Mark 7, verse 6. He says, And he said to them, Well did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites, as it is written, 
This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain they do worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. You leave the commandment of God and hold to the tradition of men. And he said to them, you have a fine way of rejecting the commandment of God in order to establish your tradition. You see, that's the same thing we need to be aware of when we think about this fourth commandment. We need to be careful to not bind the conscience of others where God's word does not. That's what the Shabbat laws are doing in Israel today, I would argue. There are, there are definitely things that we should abstain from on the Lord's Day, definitely things that we should do on the Lord's Day. We'll get to that. But we need to be careful that we don't reject the commandment of God to establish our own tradition. And then in verse 10 through 12, Jesus brings out their sin by pointing out another area in which they're doing this. They're doing it with the fifth commandment and how they fail to actually honor their father and their mother. And then listen to what Christ says at verse 13. Thus making void the word of God by your tradition that you have handed down and the many such things that you do. You see, when we impose upon others what the word of God does not, we actually make his word void. Our words are elevated at that point, and we need to avoid that. Even, even if your motive, even if your motive is to be faithful, even if your motive in observing the fourth commandment is to do what is best and right, and consider the Shabbat laws from last week even, and give them the benefit of the doubt, if it's not something that God has said, then when we impose those ideas upon others as a standard of being not defiled, then we are neonomianists, we are legalists, we are advocating for new laws and a new standard. And that inevitably leads to a false pietism as well, a false basis of holiness. That you think that you are better than others because of exactly how you're observing this thing when it's not even something that God has said that everybody must do. That was Jesus' rebuke for the Pharisees even. They thought his disciples had defiled themselves, but Jesus flipped that and said that it was their tradition that did the damage. It made the word of God void even. And so we need to be careful in thinking of all things and our fourth commandment as well and keeping that certainly in such a way that we're not imposing unbiblical traditions on others as we observe it, even if we like them for ourselves, so that we don't look down on others and justify ourselves in doing so Again, making what Jesus said here, making the word of God void. So, notice on your outline, the three catechism articles. We're going to consider what they're saying now. Obviously not going to be saying all that we could here. We won't be able to address all the proof text even. You might get multiple sermons from each question if we exegeted every verse that was in, in its sites there. But I've tried to say enough things up front so that some parts of the answers can simply be assumed or saved for later discussion. So I've broken down the articles into three points, or I've just set them forth as three different points. There's some overlap between these, uh, one point for each article. So first, how should we, which covers question 65, how should it be sanctified? And secondly, how should we not, which is covering what is forbidden on the fourth commandment? And then thirdly, how come? You know, what are the reasons added to or next to it? So we'll consider each of these questions individually in that order. And if you have your Bible open, go back to Exodus 20 now. So that way we can see the text that it's based off of. Because again, the catechism's treatment of the fourth commandment began three questions prior to this. And we covered those last week. So then, number one, 
How should we? And that's, let me read the answer given in 65. And this is addressing, break this down to two categories as well, physical benefits and spiritual benefits. So the answer the catechism gives for 65 is, the Sabbath is to be sanctified by a holy resting all that day, even from such worldly employments and recreations as are lawful on other days, and spending the whole time in public and private exercises of God's worship, except so much as it is to be taken up in works of necessity and works of mercy. So the first thing to notice, I think, is that the Sabbath is to be sanctified by us in a way. Now, of course, God has already made it holy. He is the author of sanctification. He is the one who has declared it such. But from our point of view here, we are to set the day apart. We are to sanctify it, in other words, to realize the difference of it which God created. And then we treat it differently than the other days which God also created as well. Of course, we are Christians. And so we would affirm that truly, you know, we worship God every day. And in a sense, because we are Christ's, Every day of the week is supposed to be set aside for holiness and to glorify God. It's not like the Sabbath exists or the other six days of the week you can just live like a hellion. That's not the, the point at all here. But the point of the fourth commandment is that this day is unique. And whereas we can and should glorify the Lord throughout the week and all that we do in our jobs, as students, as athletes, and all that we say and do and whatever we eat and drink, we give God glory. But on this day, the Sabbath, we are to observe what the scriptures call, and what the catechism is, is uh, repeating, a holy rest. Even though we can and do and give God glory and worship Him daily, this day, the Sabbath, the Lord's Day, is to be a day of holy resting, even from such worldly employments and recreations as are lawful on other days. So notice verse 9 in Exodus 20. There it says, as a ray of reminder, Six days you shall labor and do all your work. You see, there are things that are lawful which we do throughout the week. The Lord God has given us six days to perform them every week. He, he here he states it positively. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. We should work hard throughout the week. Not overworking so that we're basically useless when it comes to the Sabbath, to the Lord's Day. And, and why? Because the Sabbath is to be a day of holy resting. At verse 10 in Exodus 20. But the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it shall so you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male servant, your female servant, or your livestock, or the sojourner who is within your gates. So part of this holy resting is realized in the negative. It's in not doing the kinds of work that we would normally do throughout the week. And not just work, but recreation too sports, entertainment, and not just us, but those who we might call subordinates or servants. Know what the verse said, sons, daughters, male and female servants, livestock, and the sojourner. We, we have this rest from God, which is truly a wonderful provision from the Lord, to give us a break from the busyness and the go, 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 go of our normal days. There's always something for us to do. There's always something important that has to be done. I have a list that I don't even know how, how long of things I need to do to my house that my wife would like to be done. And, and, and God is saying, that's the one. And God is saying that none of it is as important as he is. And doing it will give us much good and, and, and not, excuse me, 
He's saying that none of that is as good as he is, and doing it will not benefit you as much as setting this one day aside the week to, to worship the Lord will. So professionals are to leave their work in their office. Blue-collar workers are to accomplish their projects in the six days that God gives us. We would certainly be able to set out what the Lord puts before us to be accomplished in six days if we use our time well. Remember that the Sabbath was made for man. We are benefited by observing it. We might have to adopt new work patterns, that means. Not be so lazy and be more productive throughout those six days. Not be so greedy and overworked. But observing the Sabbath will teach us to be more efficient throughout the week. And then the Lord's Day will become a refreshing day for your health, for your body, and for your soul. We don't rest on the Lord's Day because we're tired. The Lord, when he rested on the seventh day, when he created everything, he didn't do it because he was tired. We rest from those worldly employments now because God commands us to, and it's for our good. Our work can wait. Terry Johnson says, God gave us a Sabbath day to liberate us from the tyranny of our busy labors, whether those of a student, a businessman, a shopkeeper, a professional, a laborer, or whatever. But note again, the Sabbath is for all men, all humanity, not just us, not just professing Christians, our children, our livestock, even the sojourners. Now, some of our children are Christians, and that's wonderful, and that's great. And for those of us who have children who aren't Christians, we, of course, desire that and want that for them. But even if you're not professing faith in Christ, the Sabbath is for you. The sojourner in the Old Covenant Israel context, they may have not even been part of the covenant community. They are just someone who's passing through, and they were supposed to observe this commandment. And so that would mean that part of the how is also then not imposing upon others on the Lord's Day to require them to work. We're not to employ the services of others. Ideally, I say ideally, because that's the reality, all our marketplace transactions should come to an halt. If we go out to eat, go to the store, pursue entertainment, whatever it is, we are robbing them of potential Sabbath rest. We're robbing them of large-scale cultural testimony to the truthfulness and faithfulness of God. If I had to guess, I would think that the busiest lunch day of the week for restaurants are Sundays, because so many Christians are just itching to get out of service so that they can go and make a mad rush to the table. But imagine if every Christian just decided to observe the fourth commandment, especially like in a place like the Bible Belt, where basically everyone goes to church. These businesses on Sunday afternoons at lunch hour would be less profitable. It would make them consider the business owner, the workers, it would make them consider hiring less people to, to be working at that hour because they wouldn't need all those people there. Uh, it would make them consider why. And that's when we would then have an opportunity to tell others of Christ's glory in light of God's instruction to us in the fourth commandment. Plus, you know, they're working when God said that we shouldn't. Some spiritual benefits to consider as well. I know we can say a lot more there, uh, but we're not only to be physically benefited by being released from the tyranny of the busy and learning to plan better. We're also benefited spiritually. Jonathan Edwards, he said, though it be a day of rest, yet it was not designed to be a day of idleness. But we aren't inactive on the Lord's day. That's why I want to encourage you that overworking the week can negatively impact the Lord's day because the Lord's day is to be busy with a specific kind of work. We're to make it holy, as Exodus 28 says. And again, you know, sometimes you can't prevent it. I, 
we had a helicopter like hovering over our house at 3 a.m. People were doing donuts at 4 a.m. We have two kids under two. Like my wife worked yesterday. She did not sleep well at all last night. And so she was exhausted today. Sometimes you can't, sometimes you can't control all those aspects, but we're thinking of what we can do. And so we're to make it holy, as Exodus 28 says. Now, how do we do that actively? Well, as the catechism notes and interprets scripture, it says that we should do it then in spending the whole time in public and private exercises of God's worship. We are to spend the waking hours of our day. It doesn't mean we have to stay up 24 hours worshiping the Lord, but it means that we're supposed to spend our waking hours of the day taking up in acts of worship. Henry asked last week, how is a day of rest when his dad is busy working in the pulpit? Well, we have to be freed from our preconceived ideas of rest here. Because throughout the week, rest may mean relaxing in front of the TV. But this is a holy rest that we're involved in. It's a holy rest. And it's a rest from our normal activities in the week. So that we can devote a whole day of worship to thinking about God and, and worshiping God and encouraging and building up each other in love as Ephesians instructs us to. It should be done corporately with the church gathered. Granted, again, there might be times when that's not possible if you are suffering under intense persecution. But again, generally speaking, it should be done with the church gathered, not just in the morning. The whole day is to be sanctified. It's not just the Lord's morning. It's the Lord's day. So go to Sunday school. Attend the main worship service in the morning. Engage. Get to know the saints. Talk with them and pray with them. Come back in the evening and then do that every week. More on that with question 67. It should also be done in the family. With the children, if there are any, it could be done privately uh, with just a man and a wife. It could be done, and we, could, we should be caught up on this Lord's day, seeking the Lord, no matter who we are around. God has a set program for our spiritual growth. He uses what are called the means of grace, the word, prayer, and sacrament, and applied to us through faith. We've talked about that before. Well, where do you have all three of those? It's when the church gathers. Uh, one Presbyterian pastor commented in light of congregations that enforce like a church holiday calendar. In other words, all these other, quote, holy days, rather than the, the one true holy day, which is the Lord's Day. He, says, he said this, he said, the resources for discipleship and piety in the cycles of congregational life in the church are provided for us by the ordinary means of grace and by the cycle of Lord's days, not through special seasons. So, rightly viewing the fourth commandment helps us to grow spiritually. There's a clear correlation in my mind to the amount of immature believers and, and the, the cultural, empty Christianity that dominates so much of our culture right now to the view of the Lord's day that's popular. But note, God is wise. He isn't wanting to communicate human suffering through the fourth commandment in light of the Sabbath. So the catechism rightly affirms that there are some things which we should do that would qualify as work, but they are works of necessity and mercy. Again, the Sabbath is made for man. It's for our good. And so there are some things then that qualify as works of necessity and works of mercy in light of it being for the good of man. So think right now of soldiers in the Ukraine. Should the Christian soldiers in the ranks lead by example and put their guns down on the Lord's Day so they can worship? Of course not. Right? If they did that, it would lead to the loss of life of men in their unit and people in their community, in their country. It is necessary and right and God-honoring to continue to defend their country in this time, even on the Lord's Day. 
We all know police officers here. What would it be like if the police force all just shut down on Sunday? Uh, criminals would just do whatever they want. So it would be like a normal day in the Bay Area, pretty much. But right, that would not be good for man. We need there to be police officers. We're going to need medical professionals and pharmacists. We need firefighters. We live in a modern society, so we need to keep the lights on. So power plant workers. Imagine if a hospital lost all its power for 24 hours. It would not be good for man, right? If stoplights didn't work, there would be accidents. Food banks or soup kitchens are good to have. We don't want people to starve. Not that missing a meal for 24 hours would kill anyone, though, but it's still the idea, the general idea of pursuing the good of man. Now, you can take a shower, shave your face if that's something you do, tend to your livestock, help someone change a tire, serve in your church's nursery or children's Sunday school class. You could visit someone in a hospital. You could go for a walk with your family, take a nap at some point, read a book about theology. There are all kinds of good things that we should do outside of the highest good, which is attending the church as it is available. Again, some local churches are going to help you to be more faithful to the commandment than others. When you have a church that has four duplicate sermons, bing, bang, boom, in a row that are all the same so they can accommodate people, and that's it. They're not really helping you to observe the Sabbath. They're just making, they're giving you something to check off your list. Further, we should understand that sometimes things just happen which are out of our control, and you may be compelled to do something that is ideally not to be done on the Sabbath. Well, I would not want to bind someone's conscience in that regard. So we, we should plan. We should be better at planning so that we don't have to break the commandment. And there's a learning curve to that, I would think. And there are gray areas here, of course. But don't let that discourage you or get you frustrated. You know, all throughout our Christian life, we are wanting and hoping to move forward in conformity to God. And we should do that very same thing here in regard to this commandment as well and obedience to God in, in it. So then the Sabbath rest that we see in the fourth commandment is not inactivity. It's a day of religious works that are taken up for the good and benefit of others and for the glory of God. Then secondly, excuse me, how should we not? And this is covering the question 66. Much of this was actually really covered out of necessity in question 65, but this question gives us an opportunity to reinforce those ideas. So we first off see in the answer put forth in question 66 that how we do what we are supposed to do matters. Note the first line. The Catechism teaches the fourth commandment forbids the omission or careless performance of the duties required. So, so listen, the, the means of grace, which are consumed especially on the Sabbath, they are a benefit to us because they operate through the faith that we already have. But what if we view the fourth commandment as a burden? Our, our sin is deceptive, friends. We need to guard against it, prayerfully and fully depending upon Christ. The careless performance of the what we should do matters, or matters, and it's not pleasing to God. It's condemnable by God. We shouldn't have a heart that views this day as that is set apart as a burden and something that we can't wait to be over. If that's how someone views this day, it could be because legalistic requirements are being imposed upon it, or it could be because there is there is. It's indicative of a false conversion, or it could just simply be that it's sin that needs to be repented of immediately without waiting. Now, I, I say that cautiously, but soberly, because we live in a culture where these things have been neglected for so long 
and for such a long time. And so a, pace, a patient searching out of one's heart is necessary here. But look at the example put forth in Amos, Amos chapter 8. Okay, the Catechism notes 8.5. Okay, so we're going to actually read um, 4 through 6. Because the Catechism notes 5, let's continue. So Amos 8, 4 through 6. Hear this, you who trample on the needy, and bring the poor of the land to an end, saying, When will the new moon be over, that we may sell grain, and the Sabbath, that we may offer wheat for sale, that we may make the apoph small and the shekel great, and deal deceitfully with false balances, that we may buy the poor for silver and the needy for a pair of sandals and sell the, sell the shaft as wheat? Do you think that the Lord cares about how we observe the Sabbath, how we are thinking of it. You see, the, the testimony there of Israel is that they just couldn't wait for it to be over. Why? Because they wanted to get back to doing the immoral things that they were accustomed to doing on the other days of the week. Look at verse 7, actually. The Lord has sworn by the pride of Jacob, surely I will never forget any of their deeds. If we are viewing this day as in the way that is described here, and and we're viewing it as something that is preventing us from what we want to do, we must see that we got it all backwards. Again, it's the Lord's day, not man's day. Is that a problem for you? If it is, why? Again, is it because legalistic things are being put on top of it, or is it simply because it's a shock to your system because it's not what you've heard before? Or is it because you really just want to do your own stuff? When the Lord, we all would agree, knows what's best for us. Secondly, Note how the Catechism says that we can profane the day for the sake of time. We need to move fast through this. Um, it says in question 66, and the profaning of the day by idleness, and then it cites Acts, or doing that which is in, is in itself sinful, Ezekiel 23, or by unnecessary thoughts, words, or works, or about worldly employments or recreations. So we can profane the Sabbath, the Lord's day, by idleness. In other words, by thinking here that rest is the sort of westernized notion that we commonly think of. It's not a day of inactivity, but a day of religious works purposefully and planned to seek the Lord through a variety of means in addition to what we do when we're gathered and we're seeking him together. Secondly, we shouldn't do things for sinful. That's obvious, right? It's, if it's sinful on Monday, it's sinful on the Lord's Day. Uh, still going to be sinful on Saturday as well. And then thirdly, and this is where it gets tough, this is where our rights to ourself get challenged, and they, they come into play, and sometimes they might be unknowingly eclipsing the Lord's rights in our lives. And there again, there might be some instances in life that come up when doing what the catechism forbids here is necessary, it's needed, and so we need to be gracious here, uh, but also taking serious the exposition of Scripture that the catechism offers. So it would say, the catechism says, we should not, quote, do have unnecessary thoughts, words, or works about worldly employment or recreation. So notice the Catechism cites Isaiah 58. Let's, let's read that. Again, remember, Fourth Commandment did exist for the nation of Israel. It also exists for true Israel, for spiritual Israel. It's for everybody. Isaiah 58. Verse 13 and 14. So just a little bit to the left if you were in Amos. 
verse 13. If you turn your back foot from the Sabbath, from doing your pleasure on my holy day, and call the Sabbath a delight, and the holy day of the Lord honorable, if you honor it, not going your own ways, or seeking your own pleasure, or talking idly, then you shall take delight in the Lord, and I will make you ride on the heights of the earth. I will feed you with the heritage of Jacob your father, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. Now, granted, Isaiah needs to speak to Israel in this way because the covenant God is in with Israel, in which the law was revealed, had built into it this understanding that a portion of those in the covenant would not actually be saved. They would not actually love God from their heart because in their heart they love their sin still. But notice the heritage for believers that is mentioned here in this passage. Believers are people who will call the Sabbath a delight, will see it as honorable, and in it we receive the benefits of the gospel, riding on the heights of the earth, being the children of promise that were mentioned to the fathers. Again, this is something that we can grow in, even if we don't have that appreciation for it now. This is something that just... a we all grow in our understanding of God's word and his law and, and how to be faithful to it. So even if you're not there right now and you're thinking, wow, I should not do any of the stuff that I typically like to do on a Sunday because God's not pleased with that. Well, you know, don't beat yourself over the head in that. Prayerfully, you know, consider what it is that the Lord is saying here. Seek counsel from other brothers and sisters in the faith. Take advantage of what the church is wanting to put forth for you on the Lord's day. And granted, you know, we, we certainly all have some growing and pruning and conforming to Christ here in this regard. Again, especially in our culture that has been misinformed on this topic for so long now, for that, you know, the, the better part of the last 60 years, especially, it's been a, a steep downward hill that we've been um, going down in light of the Sabbath. But if we desire to rightly keep the Lord's day holy, means for that whole day, we need to take our own pleasure and talking idly, even we need to lessen our own pleasure and idle talk, even things that are good on the other six days, they need to be lessened. So that might mean that you need to quit your job if your job isn't one of mercy and necessity. Now, you should not hire others to work for you. So you should do your best to get your things in order on Saturday, uh, to be ready by Sunday, leaving room for things that aren't planned for, like a car breaking down or something like that. You can't control that. Uh, it'd be wise. Uh, to cut off the TV, to minimize scrolling through you know funny videos on social media, to never allow yourself to miss Sunday worship for worldly activity. I've said this before, and I'll say it happily again. I, I know I heard somebody else, but the Lord's Day services are a great excuse to miss everything else, and it's a tragedy when it's the other way around, especially on a consistent basis. Again, some things come up. We, we can't stop when things just come up. And we're not legalists. So we're not saying, you know, to let your whole world fall apart when something comes up. But any distraction that is going to undermine the rest and refreshment of the soul of the Lord's Day is meant to provide. We should try to get rid of that. And now lastly, how come? Question 67 kind of goes back to the why we keep it. I tried to address last week. If you note, the answer cites only two verses. And both of them are from the fourth commandment. Uh, yeah, from the fourth man in Exodus 20. And so it says, the reasons why we should go or we should do the kinds of things that we've already spoken about and not do the other kinds of things that were already mentioned is because God allows us six days of the week for our own lawful employments 
in his challenge in a special propriety in, the, in a seventh, his own example, and his blessing of the Sabbath day. So here I wanted to point out the, that the pattern is important for us. How should we observe the Sabbath? Well, one day in seven, not two days in seven, not four days in seven. We might we might think ourselves to be extremely pietistic and say, you know what, I want to go to church four days a week. Church, open up your doors so that we can do that. Well, this, that would be okay for you to go and 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 um, you know benefit from the things of the Lord in that regard if you weren't failing to take care of your family and your other uh, responsibilities throughout the week as well. But the commandment that God gives to us is one in seven. It, that's the, the pattern that he set up. And we considered last week, we know that for the one day is Sunday because it's the first day of the week, the day that Christ Jesus rose from the grave. It's good to worship God every day. I'm sure that we all do it in the different things that we do. But we must also set aside a day as God commands us to from the resting of even the good things that we engage in throughout the week. And it's a whole day. A brother last week posed the question, how long is the day and when should it start? It's a good question to ask because we know that the Jews observe their days a little bit differently than we do. They viewed a day as from sundown to sunup rather than the specific 12 a.m. to 12 a.m. That, that we do. And the answer to that question is really quite simple. We worship in spirit and truth in the New Covenant. It's why the gospel is so easily imported into every nation and tribe and tongue, to every different culture, because it lacks all the complex ceremony of the Old Covenant. And so whatever constitutes a day in your culture, a 24-hour period, since it's, it's one in six, then that is what is to be set aside, 12 a.m. to 12 a.m. for us. But again, don't be a legalist. Don't cram in all of your own things that you need to do up to 11.59 and then halt at 12 a.m. And don't be waiting to like put your shoes on at 11.59 at 12, uh, 11.59 that next day to start doing the things that you couldn't do on the, it's on the Sabbath. Again, even thinking of things like that you couldn't do it, it's, it's more along the lines of things that we should do to honor the Lord. The Sabbath should be what we really want to do anyway. And it's through the grace that God gives us that we come to appreciate it in that way. And, and lastly, and again, to observe it weekly, I think the Sabbath command was given with the built-in understanding that it would be one day transferred from Saturday to Sunday, actually. So hypothetical question. If your Bible's open to Exodus 20, does the text give us a specific day of the week or does it provide a pattern? Just think about that. Okay, I think that it was intended to have the day moved on, on, in light of Christ's resurrection. You see, the point is that we are to worship one day in a week. God wants us to do this. And think about how we even know that there is a week. I heard this from Bodhi uh, Bakum. It's really helpful. If you, and he says it like this, he, 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 puts, he gives a scenario that's like an impossible scenario. So he says, let's say that you were uh, abandoned as a baby and you were raised by like wolves out in like a, a Howie Mandel movie, right? If you were raised by wolves, you would over time be able to figure out what a day is. How would you be able to figure out what a day is? Well, you would see the cycle of dark and light. You would see the, you know, it would be day and then it would be night and then that would repeat over and over. You'd be able to determine what a day is. Same thing for a month. It would be a little bit harder if you were raised by wolves and you were alive for a long enough time. You would see that the moon changes shape. That over a span of roughly 30 days, there's this cycle. The moon gets small, then it gets huge, and then it gets down to a little sliver. And it happens monthly. And then 
this would be harder, but it could theoretically happen that if you were out in the wilderness, cut off from society, you could figure out what a year is because you would see the seasons. It's summer, spring, winter, fall. And you would see them repeat over and over and over and over. But where do you see a week? How could you figure out that a week exists? The whole world acknowledges, mind you, by the way, the world that's connected, at least. Maybe I don't know about a little tribe in a jungle that's never met anybody else. But everybody acknowledges a week. Where do we get that from? There's nothing in the stars in the sky that would tell us how to measure time in a week. We get a week because God created a week. Because he wants us to set aside a, a day so that we may gather and worship him. That we may rest from our deeds that we do throughout the week. Even those deeds that are good. So that we would gather and worship him. For he is worthy of worship. That's Again, I mentioned this last week too. This is why we have to repudiate an old earth idea of creation in which days aren't actual days. Because it matters that, the, that there are days. The fourth commandment matters. The reason why God created a week is because he was setting forth a way in which we would rightly worship him. Jonathan Edwards referred to the first day of the week and the Christian Sabbath as the universal custom of the churches in all ages. And I just have to wonder, you know, if he was alive today, would he still be willing to say that with what our Sabbath observance has looked like? I am grateful. I am so glad that Christ and his righteousness is what enables us to come before God. If we had to depend upon our Sabbath keeping, if we had to depend upon our first commandment, second commandment, third commandment, all of them, our keeping of them to come before God, we would be utterly lost and hopeless. But because Christ Jesus is who he is, because he did go to the cross for us with his perfect life when he didn't deserve death, and he died a death that we deserved, and he took the punishment that was owed to us, that we earned from our sin, it should be our delight to, out of that love that he has loved us with, first loved us with, to keep the law. And in this context, the fourth commandment certainly being part of it. So let me pray and then we'll uh, do any questions that if you guys have any or any comments, okay? Our Father in heaven, we thank you for your word, Lord, and how it humbles us. We know, Lord, that we need you. You don't need us. And whatever you say is best for us, Lord. So we pray that you would help us to be meek and help us to grow in this area, God. I know that I personally have many branches that need to be pruned in this regard. And I want to glorify you, my life, Lord, because you are worthy of glory. You have given to me much more than I ever deserve. And I, we think of the reality that, that you say that we have every blessing in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. What a wonderful and gracious God you are. So help us to depend upon you to never forget your gospel and to increase in good works for your glory's sake as you give us the grace that we need to do them. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. <clears throat> okay, let me, um, let me... So any questions, comments? Yes, three. You mean rest. Hebrew, you know, I didn't. I'm not. I'm. I'm almost certain that it's just breath. Is that? I mean, I could look it up specifically, but it's a. Well, I said. What did you say? It says here, according to the the day of Hebrews, day of atonement, the feast of atonement, Sabbath, the day of atonement. But the day of atonement is the Sabbath. There. 
Yeah, the, yeah, there's, and if you look in the Old Covenant, there's multiple Sabbaths as well. Even in the New Covenant, Paul talks about, about them. But this is specifically the fourth commandment, the day. And if we think of it like this, Reese, how does our text of Exodus 20 define it? And it defines it as one day set in the Holy Land. Well, that's where I was just confused earlier about that. Because um, verse 11, therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. So if the Sabbath specifically applies to the seventh day, then it's like it would be the day that the Jews were made holy. So that's why I was just curious if the Sabbath day. Yeah. Right, because it, yeah, it could move, it's being moved in the, the word talking about the elements, and then even how it's pictured that Sabbath, right, that Christ, we talked about Hebrews 4 last week, and so it's a, a picture of that eternal rest that we have also. So it is more complex. Good question. Anything else? I didn't offend any sensibilities tonight? No, you did. I think that's what I was trying to say as well, too. I think that's the way that I said it was it's going to offend our, our, our own rights to ourselves. We have to understand that. And this is like the Lord's rights from our And you know, there are good things that we do. But I appreciate the wording, even though the passage interprets the passage in Exodus 20. But no thing that we do good things throughout the week, but even those good things, they need to take our need to be taught. Yeah, Stephen? Okay. Okay. Well, you know, like, even like we just said right now,
I mean, why I'm saying days of week, I don't know what is this, what does a, a tribe in the middle of you know, the jungle in El Salvador you know, call their weekday? I don't know. So I'm saying whatever day of the day of the week they have Christ goes on, that's the day. If we could just make it simple. Yeah, Cohen? Well, so God rested from work on the seventh day of creation. Um, on the Sabbath, in the Old Testament Sabbath, where Jesus is, I think we all have to have all the verses right, right? But there's multiple times in which Jesus heals someone like that, he does work, right? And so he's going to, on the Sabbath is the day that was set aside for work, for the people to cease from their work and to gather and worship God. And so when the time when Jesus was alive, when he was walking around the earth, and he's called to the apostles, and he's teaching people that the kingdom of heaven is at hand. He would go in on Sabbath to speak, and you know, to work with mercy and heal, and that was to be custom. So I, I think someone working on Sunday would hear what you're saying. Is why is this? We're talking right about this, like taking our shoes off and kicking back and relaxing in comfy clothes, because the reason for that is because the rest that is talked about here is not actually rest. It's a rest and a ceasing and a stopping from the type of things that we would do throughout the week normally so that we would do these other things instead. So if you say like like if you think of it like this way, you when you're out playing all day, you need a or you're in the middle of school in the morning and you can then you come home and you play a little bit, you get some breaks and you can rest. Well you're resting from that school and that playing. You're stopping at that time, then you're going to go back to when there's some more school later on, some more playing later on. So the rest of the concept, when we think of what the Sabbath is, on the seventh, on the first day of the week now, because we have Christ living in those graves, it's a rest from the things we're doing throughout the weekday. Because we don't, I mean, you're not coming to church in the morning and Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, right? You're not. So you're, you're resting from those things that you do on Wednesday to come and do that. John was turned. I was just So this is a clarification because I know the project I have to take back to the two clarifications there. One, we always need to take into account the small Sunday festival in the temple on Sunday night. I always respond to and say, Well, you know, Christ was born of a woman born of he might redeem those who are his people. And so obviously he was going to conform to no covenant because that mm-hmm. obviously was the teaching point. Yeah. So um, I think it, I was telling him always that's a bad example because as New Covenant saints, you know, he brought up, he always looked at me saying, Why can't you do it as a friend? I like what you said earlier. Could you couple that with the uh, idea that in the um, that they would do like a change of administration of the Sabbath? That it's not so much that I'm going to tell God to change my from covenant to covenant. There seems to be a distinction between like some of the things you said earlier about Israel about the Shabbat, right? That is there a distinction between 
errors. Um, yeah, I'm not sure if this answers the question or not, but I talked about him last week how technically the day is what we say the positive law, and so that's something that can be changed when the covenant is over. And so, for example, positive laws in the New Covenant might just be the law that pertains to be baptized. So that would be the Lord's Supper. Well, will there be any baptizing when we are in glory? There's not, right? So everybody on the day of the baptism said there'll be no more partaking of the Lord's Supper because we'll be doing that until it's death. And doing so until the Lord comes again. And so those are positive laws that when that covenant is fully consummated, those laws would pass away. Well, the same thing would be true in the day, the specific day. The old covenant is on that Saturday, and then the new covenant is Luke's birthday. They kind of maybe push back and even against the friend who says Jesus doesn't get it. Well, when in all of like three or four different accounts of John's gospel, especially where it says that as where Jesus appeared to them on the first day of the week, we should maybe have to say, well, what were the saints doing on that day? Were they sitting around watching football? Like, what, what were they? What were they doing? They were there gathered to worship what he did, though. And you know when the Saints were gathered. How many saints? But it's, again, it's more of an argument for silence than anything else.
attraction. Sometimes you might go out and, and buy food or whatever at home too, but I see it as a person to, to my wife. Um, what I should try to do is be a better husband and try to make the sandwich the day before. You know? And I could, I could try to do that option as well. I heard uh, Brian Borkman in one service talk about how him and his kid and his wife over at the friend's house and their daughter like eats the blow out. And the, and the friend wouldn't let them wash the clothes. <laughs> yeah. And, and you know, Brian's a pastor there. He wants to glorify the Lord and have a wonderful Lord's Day service. But, you know, he was just like, okay. <laughs> and he didn't like, you know, try to like, you know, leave with the bar or whatever. But she was kind of, you know, posting that on the internet. But anyway, you know, I think we should be gracious to each other and do our best. We're trying to make it a man like the whole, what we have to, you know, have to provide all Isaac, let me come back over here. Go ahead, Tony. Let me the youngsters first. Okay. Um, well, we're supposed to just try to empty out the church. So this church is kind of new church that we're going. Why do we do youth Yeah, that's a that's a good question. We don't want to, especially. I've been trying, actually, my. Ideas. I, I would like to get away from a youth group and small groups. Because what I don't want to do, I, I don't want the other things that go on throughout the week to take away from the Lord's Day. And the reason I would want to take away those, I still actually want to have a Wednesday service for everybody. Because it's everyone here. It's not separating people. The whole church is kind of gathered together. It wouldn't be, I wouldn't think that, you know, oh, there would never ever be church discipline. For you missing Wednesday because the whole church coming together, you were a member of the church. Because that's not the day that is commanded. Sunday there there would be. If you miss, you know, six months and never come on a Sunday, you would be asking, hey, what's your commitment to the Lord? You know, there's there's a problem here. And if that was the case for Wednesday, that's the that's the day that most churches used to have the prayer service and then the other services on Wednesday. Um, and would it be a, it'd be an extra thing, a beneficial thing? A nice boost to your soul throughout the week, but it, it's a little bit different than I can in small groups. The youth group is essentially a small group for a specific age, it, it, but it's it's weird because then again you're splitting everybody apart rather than have everybody come together, which is what we always see in church today. Is everyone come together? But so it's not a mandatory thing, and and that's why even like I think the Presbyterian pastor that I mentioned who wanted to say that. The church calendar is kind of dangerous because we don't want to think that, oh, coming to a special, you know, Good Friday service or a Lent service or a, you know, Pentecost service, whatever the different types of services that are on church calendar, we don't want people to think, oh, I need to do those to maintain, you know, an appearance of righteousness. But that's what God really wants. But really, it's the Lord's Day that we set forth. Yes, Justin. It's Good question. No, uh, you can still rest and, out, and you can even enjoy, like, you know, playing a video game is also very, like, difficult video game. It's kind of restful, right? So, like, my little dinosaur game that I play, it's a restful game. But yeah, you could definitely rest. So, again, the, the rest, it's a holy rest. That's the fourth commandment we want to talk about. So, meaning that it's, it's a ceasing of doing those things you typically. 
still, yeah, you can still rest and take naps. And even if you take the nap, it's okay with the Lord's Day. As long as it's not like a five hour nap, you know, and then you're right to the service. They go back to Isaac and then Because that was the day that Jesus broke the bread. So Jesus was crucified on Friday, and then they start counting they call it Silent Saturday, where he was in the tomb, and he was and he was buried, and then on Sunday he rose from the grave. That's when Mary they go to the tomb and it's empty, and the stone is rolled away. And so we read after that that the church is gathering on the first day. So they move from that day of rest because we, we worship now. This is what I was saying. Um, Last week, when God instituted Sabbath, we worshiped in line of creation. Uh, if you read Exodus, it's what it meant the Lord created everything six days of rest on the seventh. Then if you read Deuteronomy, it says that we worship in line of redemption. Uh, the, in Deuteronomy, the passage mentions Israel being taken out of Egypt, you know, as a type of the reconciliation of man with God through Jesus' death on the cross. And so we, we now we worship in line of redemption, which is on Sabbath, the first day of the day of birth. Question. Nick? We spend most of our time, and I think rightly so, thinking about the restful aspect of the seventh day, but this command actually does say six days you shall labor. Yeah. So is it wrong for us to set our schedules up to such a day that we don't labor for six days? Uh, so, like that American notion of like five days. Like, so I think, in my own thinking through of that, like I think um, most people probably, you know, if they have to go to an office or whatever, do that five days a week. But then I have to come home, I, my, my honeydew list, or I have to mow the lawn and, you know, do all those little home improvement things. That constitutes as work, I would think, as well, too. So I don't think this, this um, commandment is preventing us from taking vacations either. <laughs> I should say that. Like, I think we could go on vacation still. And, you know, you're not properly working on vacation. But maybe you kind of are. Just put a tent together to... I know. It depends on the context. <laughs> what about what about these? Uh, I've heard of some churches will give like the elders special staff a Sabbath. You know, and usually what they have them do is they they I don't know require or suggest them to be like writing you know papers or planning things. Because um, even you know when you a sabbatical when you might give like a pastor like a couple months off or something like that. I think they usually they, they do feel like patience and still be. Working because again we talked about the last week. Work is good. Work exists before the fall. Uh, work is we're going to work in the new heavens and the new earth. So, but yeah, I, really we have six days to do everything that we do. Our um, we don't want to be like the the, the ten work days. That would be that would be weird. That would be number two. Kelly, labor. So labor is just work. It's another word for work. Yeah. I was grateful for the Sabbath because it refreshes the Lord and makes me think of my time. When we say it's the one day that God commands us to bless us, it never yeah. tells us that at the beginning. It's like kind of fights us and kind of more. It's one of the things that actually makes us more Christian. So because of those. Yeah, 
probably the latter. Because I think this nation is a Christian. Yeah. You know, I, so I think that also our hearts are desperately wicked and give up. So, you know, when it, there's a system of theology that says, oh, I'm pleasing to God in this way, then maybe we can back up. Yeah, because it's always weird to me how even non-Sabbatarians are Sabbatarians in some sense, right? It's like, yeah, yeah, they, they still go to church. They still go to church, yeah, right? They still think it's bit, mandatory. Yeah. They still think that, you know. Right. Yeah, you're saying that you don't go. That's what I'm saying. Even like, there's room that I need to grow. I remember when I first became a Christian that that was the kind of thinking that I was familiar with. And I was like, man, I don't know if I started reading that, you know, and for the first time it's like, something just didn't seem right. I just didn't feel like it was like that. Yeah, just the spirit working on your heart. Right, like yeah. it's very clear that there should be something different about this day in the life of a Sabbath <laughs> Instead of watching a movie, you're, you know, going yeah, to church. Like, and, yeah. and half the sermons, and the sermons are entertainment. It's like so it's not even like theological substance or gospel. It's just they're entertaining jokes. Part of the problem is we live in a consumeristic world, and that consumerism has led to the church. And so it's like, yeah, let me just get my duty done and, you know, bark off with It's the description. I mean, you can, uh, if we read our emails today, you know, I guess that would not not right. Yeah, they won't send you back to the Yeah, especially with COVID even, right? Yeah. I think it would be helpful too for those of us who are in the Sunday medical school not to look at it that way, but but I think the Lord blessed me with some lessons recently where um telling, you know, stay around, hang out, gather. And that kind of became infected with our church, but now people are here, so staying and hanging out. Yeah, but I think for those of us who are convinced that the Lord has given us this, you know, two services and twenty four hours or whatever, we really put it upon the Lord every week and every time he does something. So I think for those of us who do come, we need to really use those opportunities to personally invite people back to spur up those conversations because otherwise the body. You're really good at it, Ben. Please do it for us. <laughs> I try to, but I know sometimes, too, the, you know, I'm saying it because other people are, you know, the Lord is blessing us with individually, like, Tesla, Steve, and Christopher, you know, and, yeah. you know, Sherry, and I see what else is touching on here, too. So I think all of us um, have those open doors to someone or another. And we should be aware too that there are sometimes situations in our lives that might think, oh, got a bunch of small, small kids. I mean, it's my girls are here tonight because they were up late all kind of week and I get PT tomorrow. I knew that I'll just go a little bit long tonight. So like, they wouldn't be going home until nine o'clock. So it would be, it would be hard. So there's, there's cases of life in which it might not always work out the way you want, but it's obviously for the best as well. And again, he's not looking at our 
keeping of these things as the source of our righteousness, as the source of justice. Even when we, even when there's a way it's bent in which when I see my inability to be faithful, when I know that I should be in this regard, I'm encouraged because of the promises of the gospel that I have one day. It's not up to my performance. That's not saying that it is sins that grace may abound, but that My hands are empty. Empty as far as my own marriage is. Alright guys, that's good to go. Good luck. Appreciate the discussion. Fifth commandment next week.